So here we are. We're March the 1st, 2020, lecture discussion number 94 on the book of Joel, Revelation, Daniel, Ecclesiastes. And that's purposely done, trying to make you see them as a unitary thing. I have a letter I'm going to read really fast because I found it delightful. It's from a young lady in Texas. It's a real letter, in case you think I don't get real letters. And yes, it looks like my handwriting, I know. Not true. Hi, y'all, she writes. I'm very grateful for the teachings. I'm going to start showing, I'm sorry, I'm going to start sharing the gospel using Zechariah 12.10. That is where Israel finally realizes that Christ is the creator God of Exodus 3.14. He's the, he's the fire in the bush before Moses. He's the pillar of cloud that led them out of Egypt. They finally figure out that's who Jesus Christ really is. He's revealed to them as the ancient of days. That's Zechariah 12.10. I'm going to start sharing the gospel using Zechariah 12.10 as you recommend in a teaching I heard from you last night. So this is dated the 26th of February. I shared the gospel and tracts as I learned from the Baptists as I really couldn't find any training from others. I thought you might appreciate that, Dave. Though I am, though I am an Anglican, I haven't felt I'm sharing the gospel correctly. And other denominations say share the gospel without using words. To me, that's a sign of stupidity. <laughs> I've slowed down on the sermons and only listened to five to seven of your sermons a day now. In case you start to feel like you're Ahead of the game here. Sending, let's see, uh, the Bloody Stump uh, 5, the Bloody Stump 5, might be 3, that I heard two days ago, finally answered some questions. That's why I read it. Proof, huh? Thanks. Keep up the good work. Is it hard to share the gospel because this is the end of the age of the Gentile? Oh, Yeah. That's absolutely true. That's why the 144,000 replaced the church. Actually, they don't replace the church. They finally, they do in a sense, but they finally do what their intended purpose was when God pulled them out of Egypt during Exodus 3. Okay. Last Sunday, lecture number 93, we began, albeit I agree incongruently, the seven weeks and the 62 weeks of Daniel 9.25. Seven plus 62 equals 69. Use your phones. Hopefully, and I know it was a mess, it, it, it always is, some of the terminology got through, was assimilated, internalized, maybe you got the 69 sevens. It says weeks, but weeks and sevens are interchangeable in Hebrew. So it's the 69 sevens. And I said there was 173,880 days. So if I got that, last week was a miracle of teaching skill. And maybe you got the part about the second decree of Artaxerxes as opposed to the first decree of Artaxerxes. Probably not. Don't feel bad. All of that's opposed to the decree of Darius or Darius as opposed to the decree of Cyrus. And if I got any of that accomplished, then the highly trained religious professional was triumphant. And huzza, huzza, all hail the great religious professional. All means all. I expect you to participate. Okay. Let the record show no one hailed the all great religious professional. Now, it's going to be wise to temper the celebrating that I have because there's far more to go and it's likely the dissemination Amount information that actually got through is very close to zero, and that means that there's more bludgeoning ahead. And today is bludgeoning. So you came on a wonderful day, and you'll be miserable. I do see a full bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken that I won't eat, so it might be worth it. And, uh, and why are we, and by we, I mean me, Doing this to you. What's the point? Yea, a point. 
Well, if it's possible to determine the exact year of the going forth of these commands that were issued by Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, I'm sorry, and Cyrus, and Darius, or Darius, if I can find the exact year of the going forth of that command that was made by those three men, because they each made one, with the exception of Artaxerxes, who made two. Why do I want to know about a command made by these kings of Persia? Because Daniel 9.25 says that I need to know about this. Daniel wrote something in 9.25 to 27 that is extraordinary. And this is the time that the church ought to be jumping up and down, screaming it in every congregation. And that these, these words or these commandments, these decrees of these per- Persian, Persian kings directly reflect what Daniel wrote in 9.25 and 27. Uh, what it is essentially, and to recap that, is to restore and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. If I can find out the exact year of that decree, then I can calculate using the 69 sevens and the 173,880 days. I can find the exact year that, pre- that Jesus Christ chose to be crucified. Notice how I say he's in authority over his crucifixion. Now the question becomes immediately, why did he choose that particular year? What made him do that? Well, it, the evidence is, is that it goes back to Genesis 3. Adam, because there's seven days, seven millenniums, seven thousand years, seven thousand individual Days, In other words, a thousand years is a day. So there's seven of those. He came 4,000 years from Adam. What particular day did he pick? Was it the birth of Adam or the death of Adam? By death, I mean when Adam uh, took the the, uh, uh, fruit, if you will. That's when he began to die. I can absolutely calculate. The exact year of the crucifixion of Christ, if I do the math correctly, it's not easy to do it correctly, and it's not easy to figure out what the math even is here. But we can get a lot closer than everyone expects. So, let's just try, try again. I have 173,880 days. 173,880 days. Notice how many times I am repeating that. That is a technique in math. Keep repeating until everyone passes out. I have that because I have a 777 and I have a 627 listed in the book of Daniel. And it tells me to understand what that means. And of course that is... uh, that ends up being 483 times 360. Does that make any sense to anybody? One person a day. What that is, is 7 times 7 is 49. This is 434. That is 483. So I have 483 years from when this decree is given by one of these four kings. We'll have to decide which one, which decree, and which king. And then I have 360 days in a Jewish year, not a Gentile year. A Jewish year, that ends up being 173,880 days from the time of that decree, I can know the crucifixion of Christ, what year it is. I've got to convert it, but I could have, I got it in Hebrew years at least, and they're wrong, as we discovered a few weeks ago, maybe months ago. So I got 173,880 because 483 times 360 equals 173,880. Notice I'm repeating it because 62 times 7 is 434 and 7 times 7 is 49. 434 plus 49 is 483. And by Jewish reckoning, there are 360 days in a year. That's what that is. Now you've got the very beginnings of Daniel 9. But we got a question right off the bat. Why is there 360 days in a year in Jewish reckoning? 
What, are they dumb? Probably not. So why 360? There's a, that's the question. 12 times 30 is 360 is what everybody says to me. That's not the answer. So why is it 360? <coughs> we'll get to that in the weeks to come. And if any of what I just did made any sense to you, and it shouldn't, but if it did, consider yourself kind of wise. You're right there. You've got the foundation. And now you are in 1% of all Christians in the world. And I doubt it's 1%. Raise your hands. Never raise your hands here. Raise your hands if you've ever gone to a church that has done this lecture. Not, not counting this one. <laughs> the point being is, is that it just doesn't happen. And it's so critical. Especially because of the year it might fact be. We might be close to 6,000 years from the birth of Adam. Within 25 years of that right now. Because the, the Jewish calendar makers made a mistake. As I discussed a few months ago. And I'll probably get back to that. But if you've got at least that, terrific. Because wisdom is the goal here, Daniel 12.10. Daniel writes at the end of his book, only the wise will understand this. So if you intend to be wise, and it is very good to go through life wise as opposed to what's the other word? That's right, stupid. So it's really good to know something that is extremely valuable, and this is beyond extremely valuable. Only the wise will understand this. You can always do a wise test. You can ask somebody, "What? explain Daniel 9 to me. And when they go, I have no idea, then go, okay, I learned something about you. The wise will know. Only the wise will understand the conclusive proof of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ that is contained in Daniel 9.25, 9.26, and 9.27. To be more specific, to pound it in as much as I can. Only the wise will know the purpose of Daniel 9. I erased it from the board. 25, 9.26, and 9.27. The purpose of those verses is to make you wise. And give you a piece of information that will change you from somebody who is oblivious to somebody who has profound wisdom. That's the very purpose of Daniel 9.25, 9.26, 9.27. Reveal the year of Christ's crucifixion. Only the wise will know how this is so. How it is that that is the date. But then what do we got left? Why did he pick that day, that date, that year? Because he did. He did it before he made time. So this predates time. And, that, and of course, all of that raises the most obvious of all obvious questions. Why does Christ want the wise to know the precise year in which he chose to be crucified? He wants you to know it. Why? If it makes you wise, how does it make you wise? This is the year he gave his life. And he has to give it because no one can take it from him. He shed his life blood. Now everyone wants to compare, you will know the year of the crucifixion. Do you think you know? The church is confident they know. Uh, I'm going to uh, throw some aspersions on what they think they know as we go along. But a lot of people want to compare that you don't know the day of the hour of his return for the bride. He says only the father knows, and that is Hebrew betrothal ceremony language. He knows, he's omniscient. He's using the language of the ceremony of the Hebrew marriage system so that you know there's 12 steps to it. And you'll know what step he's on. He identifies which of the 12 steps that he's on. That's why he uses that language. It isn't that he doesn't know. I have to throw that in because it all starts coming together no matter what I do. So what? effectively we have this wonder, wondrous, incredible treasure of wisdom awaiting us. And it's going to require painstaking re research. It's drool-inducing. I've done it before. 
Unfortunately, it's always drool-inducing. Everyone's going to, I'm going to hand out buckets with lanyards like I should, maybe chains this year, around your neck, so when you fall asleep, the drool won't get on the chairs. And we don't care about the floor, because the kids crawl on the floor. Figure out why that's symmetry there. So we're going to start with a timeline today. Let me erase this. Yes, the religious professor or professional does love him some timelines. There's no doubt about that. I, I like my timelines. Time. Ooh, time. I love things about time. And we're going to be confronted with times. In plural. God has appointed times for things that he has purposed to accomplish. In other words, he does something at a particular time, and, he, and when he does that, he reveals something specific to you. Everyone says, God never talks to me. I can never, he doesn't say anything, so I don't talk to him. Well, he does. He does it by when he does things, in past times and in future times. He has appointed times for things that, again, that reveal him. And he does things at certain times and at certain places and always attempt to figure out why. Why this time? Why that place? What else happened at that place? Why is he? Because he does that. He absolutely fulfills things that have happened before. Anyway, let's draw out something basic. And I should make everyone aware that there's an ongoing battle within the scholars with respect to this problem that I'm discussing. For example, I presented uh, mostly last Sunday the conventional view, and I rarely do that. But in this case, it makes sense for me to do it. Uh, What I mean by the conventional view, the the position uh, that I presented was very much the one that is the most common. And if you study this, if you take upon the study of Daniel 9 and Ezra, Nehemiah and Esther, to name just a few of them, Jeremiah... And and I'm attempting to incentivize all of you, by all, all means all, to undertake, to repeat. Listen, the goal is to become one of the wise. And you already know if you're one of the wise. Because if you know this material, then you are one. And if you don't, then you're not. It's not, it's binary. It's not that difficult. And the goal is to be counted among the wise, Daniel 12.10. Anyway, the convention or the seminarian teaching is where we began lecture number 93. Not actually, I halfway through lecture 93. And I did it because it's the most accepted. Everyone likes it. By everyone, I mean lots of people. The overwhelming majority. Uh, doctrinally or denominationally like that, what I presented last week. So I made lots of friends for the first time ever. But if everyone likes it, be suspicious. Because they're probably, I almost said something I shouldn't have. They're not uh, necessarily accurate. And a couple of you with advanced phones, those advanced phones are smarter than the ordinary smartphones. So congratulations on what you've got there. You started during the lecture last week gathering the uh, differing, the diverse uh, opinions on all of this during the lecture. And let me see if they're... No, they didn't come back. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Um, And that's exactly what you should be doing. Daniel 9, 25 through 27 is challenging. It's actually exhausting. It's laborious. It's taxing. Pick one. Buy a thesaurus. This This is as tough as it can get. If you were expecting easy, this is not. Drop, lower your expectations. It's not easy. Anything easy is generally worthless and useless and wrong. So prepare for wariness and numbing. It's going to be tough. I got that. Anyway, the conventional view has merit to it. It has some merit to it. And it also launches the debate. And that was my primary motivation. And I received phone calls and emails. And they were wonderful. All of you who wrote me, I very much appreciated it. Um, they were Most of them were asking how I because they have been listening to me for many, many years, centuries perhaps, seems like it for you, will after this lecture too. But they were asking how I 
the most humble of all of the humble religious professionals, how uh, having I've devoted my so-called career to eradicating the Friday crucifixion view, as you know, I've done it for every Ishtar. I stand up and smack it with a baseball bat because it's such an inviting target. The Friday crucifixion view is nonsense. And I say it with every breath I have whenever I can. I'm doing it now. And I have replaced it with what the Bible says. The biblical three days and three nights. Notice three days and three nights. That's the sign of Jonah. That's 72 hours. I can do the math. There's three 24-hour periods, and the emphasis is on three. Did you get three? Did you get 72 hours? Three days and three nights. And they want to know, how could I, <coughs> excuse me, of all people, present the 30, or the AD 33 position, which I did. I admit it. I also presented the March 5th. Part of that. And I had my reasons. And you shall see what I do to it. Anyway, why not do the AD 31 or the AD 30? That was the one that I got the most. You know better. Of course I do. And one of you with the smartest of all smartphones figured out and noticed. He came up to me and said, well, 444 B.C. and... And 30, AD 33 was not 483 years. You are excused. Somebody hit your car? Oh, well, that's the same. Somebody hitting your car and a poopy diaper is the same problem. At least in the sense of if somebody hits my car and I'm in it, that's going to... Never mind. I, I am an elderly person, after all. Things happen. It's coming for you. Quit laughing. It's not as funny as you think. But somebody, uh, one of you, and not here again, came and said, Hey, 444 B.C. and uh, 8033 is not 480... Now, that's not... 483 years. Oops, I forgot the eight. And you're right. I tried to explain, I did try to explain the discrepancy. That's Gentile days versus Jewish days. It's 360 years versus 365 and a quarter. And I wasn't surprised that I didn't get that through. We're counting days and not years. And, and uh, But in any event, it seemed to the, to the person that came up to, to see me that I was insisting that the days are in stone. I'm sorry, the dates of all of this are in stone, and they are not in stone. The crux of the matter, again, is the 173, 880 days. 483 years by 360 days. 173, 880 days. Push, push, push. It's the number of days that carries the weight in this discussion, in this study. And from this, we're going to calculate. With that said, I did, I did just give up a clue to all of this. You can take a shortcut. You don't have to do it this way. But the Bible says if you understand this way, you're one of the wise. There is a shortcut. And I did tell you the shortcut. The shortcut being the sign of Jonah. If you understand the sign of Jonah and the Wednesday crucifixion, the Passover on Wednesday, well, now you have really good information. What can you do with that, that information? Knowing that the Passover must be on Wednesday and that there's 173 and 880 days, you've got the exact year, maybe. I qualified that, didn't I? Yeah. For today, recognize that it's possible to extrapolate from a Wednesday Passover in a year that has proximity to the crucifixion. If you have the 33 position... All you have to do is say, uh, does that have the sign of Jonah? If it doesn't have the sign of Jonah, then it can't be right. And once I figure out what year is close by, maybe I could be 10 years away, maybe I could be 50 years away, maybe I could be 20 years away, but I can find a year that has the sign of Jonah in it that corresponds to the crucifixion. 
it's got to have the 72 hours. It's got to have first fruits on a Sunday, which always would be the case. But I can set Passover un- unleavened bread and first fruits and the Sabbath that's in that week. I can find that. That's four components. Once I have the sign of Jonah and those four components, I can start doing calendar math. Has it been done? Oh, yes, it has. Does it end on 33, A.D. 33? Oh, no, it doesn't. So who decided A.D. 33? Well, that should be obvious. But in any event, I can subtract 173, 880 days from that sign of Jonah Passover and figure out when the decree was given. Now I can assign it to a person. That's the shortcut. That's for, that's for people who aren't as wise as you. Nonetheless, it's important to start in the beginning and work your way to the end because otherwise you'll make mistakes. Now, I will concede most biblical historians frown on my Jonah method. They don't like Jonah. They discard and invalidate the literal sign of Jonah. They make it into this half a day, another half a day, and a third of a day, and no day at all. It's a mess. And uh, I obviously disagree with the Friday crucifixion view. Having said that, for what? 30 years. When I started, I felt like I'm the only guy. And then I found a book. I was so excited. I thought, my goodness, somebody knows this. And it was life-changing, mind-changing, knowing there was one other person in the world ever who ever lived that liked me. That's not totally the case. There's some people that like part of me. But in any event, uh, there is a large group that does have the... I should be serious for a second because it's a serious subject. There's a large group that has the Wednesday crucifixion position, the Passover position. Okay. I'm uncompromising on the 72 hours with regard to Jonah. I'll never change. And you won't make me. As for today, if you undertake all this task that I'm laying out, you're going to discover all kinds of agenda-based reckoning. So every time you find a position, and I, I encourage you to research it, you're going to find somebody who has an agenda. As an example, the Worldwide Church of God, that's Herbert W. Armstrong's old organization. Now, they have recently um, mended some of their doctrines, but they have the 457 B.C., as the date in which the clock starts with regard or respect to Daniel 9.25. That's the prophetic 9.25 Daniel Clark clock, and they say it started in 457 B.C. Now, who do they have to trust for that? They have to trust the historian, because that is obviously not Jewish, because Jewish counts from Adam. There are thousands here. Back there, they say right now, I, I can't remember totally, but they're saying we're pretty close to 5,800 years. They're not correct about that. We're really close to 6,000 years. But they count from zero, Adam, thousands. By the time you get to almost the fourth century, you're 3,500 years, Jewish years. So this is a Gentile calculation done by a historian. Could be religious historian, but also could be, they could say, BCE before common era which tells you that that is atheistic it is not start it has no christ in it there is no christology there but the worldwide church of god herbert w armstrong's organization gardner ted armstrong uh, assert 457 is the starting of the prophetic daniel 925 clock as do the seventh day adventists so i have two groups that do that that are most prominent um, there are some that count from Ezra, the seventh year of Artaxerxes. There are others who count from Nehemiah, the 20th year of Artaxerxes. And that's where the 444, 445 position comes. You'll see 444, you'll see 445, you'll see 33, you'll see 31, you'll see 30, you'll see 27. So who's right? Obviously I am. And I haven't completely given you what I think yet. 
gosh, why would you ask that? You, you, you answered it immediately, didn't you? You've been conditioned. The barbiturates are finally taking hold. That's fantastic. They're in the chicken, just in case you were wondering. Yeah, yeah. How clever that he's faking heart failure. <laughs> anyway, there's also those who, who you have this order of uh, Ezra. I'll give you my position here. I believe that Ezra is before Nehemiah. It's chronological that way. With regard to entering Jerusalem, there are, there are those who invert that because they don't think that Ezra and Nehemiah are contemporary. So we'll have to get into all of that. Uh, they have, there's problems if you have Ezra in front of Nehemiah, but there's greater problems if you have Nehemiah in front of Ezra. So we'll have to work our way through that. Right off the bat, I'll note that the 33 or 8033 position is the is the love of who? That's correct. That's the Roman Catholic Church. That's why they don't care about the sign of Jonah and whether or not it complies with, with AD 33. And it conforms to their implausible Good Friday crucifixion. And, and therefore, it is embraced, is it not, by the overwhelming Protestants who do not protest this. They're not good Protestants. They have gravitated towards the Good Friday crucifixion view. It's overwhelming. Find a Wednesday position. I dare you in this city. Okay, you found it. This is it. But you'll never find another one. Uh, and my, I don't think there is another one. So know that there's an agenda. The, the evidence is obvious to me that Friday was burial spice day, not good Friday. It's the day before the weekly Sabbath. There are three Sabbaths in that day. There's Passover, there's unleavened bread, there's the weekly Sabbath, and then finally the final Sabbath, which is first fruit. So I have three high feast days and a weekly Sabbath. A.D. 33 conforms to zero A.D. I should say there's no such thing as zero A.D. or zero B.C. I just like to call it zero A.D. when I make this position. They like zero A.D. with A.D. 33 because they like to count to 33. Why do they like to count to 33? Because Christ was 30 when he entered his public ministry, and he went for approximately three and a half years. So if you start from zero, you get AD 33. Are they right? Probably not. By probably, I mean no. So, this becomes the issue of, one, there is no zero A.D., and two, was Bishop, Bishop Escher, Usher correct when he put Christ's birth at zero A.D. that doesn't exist? Uh, so, anyway, just gird yourself for all of this tedium. There is a tremendous amount of it, and I'm just hardly even scratching. And I know what you're thinking. Can we please instead divert into the Hubble constant astrophysics debate. That's what you're hoping. I get rid of this and we go to the Hubble constant, which is essentially a discussion of the viability of the rate of the spread of the expansion of the universe and the existence of dark matter and dark energy, as I said. No one wants to do that. As much as you beg me, I, I'm going to tell you we can't do it yet. But it's incredibly fun. So, today is solving Daniel 9:25 through 27 as best we are able. It's a tremendous amount of reading. It is all over the Old Testament to do this. It's a lot of information. And that is, of course, what makes you wise, ultimately. So, let's draw a timeline of sorts, but we won't put any time on it at all. Why is that? Because all of it is in dispute. So, we're going to start here, and we're going to write Cyrus. And then we're going to go a little bit and we're going to write Darius or Darius. We're going to go a little bit further and we're going to write Artaxerxes. And if nothing today, you learned how to spell Artaxerxes. And you go a little bit further and you're going to make another mark. And then you're going to go way over here and you're going to put a cross. 
There's your timeline. And somewhere in that timeline, we have to find 173,880 days. And the point is, is to figure out where does it start, and we know where it ends. This is the end. The year of the crucifixion. But where is the beginning? That's the question. So let's play, place the 173,880 days. It's in one of those four places, and they are not drawn to scale. You see, because King Cyrus issued a command, King Darius issued a command, and King Artaxerxes issued two commands. And Daniel said this, Daniel 9.25. I should have it marked. I thought I did. Here we go. Know this, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of one of these four commands, I just added that part in, the going forth that, that from... The going forth of the command, actually it means word, going forth of the word to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall there be seven weeks and 62 weeks. You know that 49 and 434 times 360 is 173,880. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So I have a street. I have a wall. I have troublesome times. I have a word. Know this and understand that from the going forth of this word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. I have Jerusalem in here. It has to be restored and rebuilt There shall be, until Messiah the Prince, here's Messiah the Prince. Notice that he is not called the King, even though he is the King of all. But he's called Messiah the Prince of Peace, if you will. Why is he called Messiah the Prince? Because this is the year of his crucifixion, not the year of his return to Advent. Somehow, whoever said this to Daniel, and Gabriel's the one that said it to Daniel, got it right. Boy, that Gabriel, really lucky here. Pulled it out. Could have gone either way. Hopefully sarcasm gets through occasionally. So we have been able to narrow down that we have four words, or four decrees, four commandments. Commandment is a perfect... uh, uh, Synonym to this. One of those four started the prophetic clock that leads us to the year of Christ's crucifixion. And and all of these characteristics are there. So what are these troubled times? Because this is gonna we're gonna have to have troubled times in here. What are the troubled times? Why are there troubled times? Who causes the troubled times? So what, now we have the known knowns. We know that we have weeks equal sevens. We know we have seven sevens and seven, 62 sevens. We know we got 483 years. Notice how I keep repeating that. From the command to the Messiah, the Prince, is 483 years. And one seven is missing. Missing. M-I-S-S-I-N. I have 483 years. That doesn't make any sense because you know it would be 77, and 77 would be 490 years. So I have a missing 7. Where is the missing, the final 7? Well, you know that's the tribulation. I hope you know that. It's pretty obvious because after the 483 are gone and we're still waiting for the final one when Messiah the King comes. Versus Messiah the Prince. Those are the two advents of Christ. So we got again 173,880 days, 483 times 360 from the Word. We know who the Messiah is. 
What's the question we have to ask? We know who the Messiah is. What do we ask now? Why is he the Messiah? Always ask why. What is the difference between the Messiah and the king? But he's the Messiah for a reason. Why did he have to be a Messiah? Everybody asks me that. Why didn't he just come and say, hi, I'm taking over. All of you lay down now. I am. Everybody lays down. It's easy. He just walks around. He can walk through people. That's quantum tunneling. The first person to mention quantum tunneling in all of scripture is uh, discusses Christ. We're only beginning to recognize the probability, the ability to go through an obstacle. What the probability is. You'll love quantum tunneling. No, you won't. But Okay, yeah, we should do the Hubble constant. And then we'll do quantum tunneling. Quantum tunneling is just fascinating. I also want to do uh, channel blocking for heart disease. That's... Obviously, a concern of mine. What's going on in the myocyte and how the the chemistry works for the uh, for the electrical system that's in the heart? Where am I? Why is he the Messiah? And which is the command? Is it Cyrus? Is it Darius? Or is it Artaxerxes? And so, when was the word given? And once we know when the word was, then we got it made. And after the sixty-two weeks. Uh, the Messiah is cut off. And that confuses people because there's 483 years and there's 49 plus 62. So after the 62 is when the Messiah is cut off. So I have to have 49 and then I have to have 62. And then after those sevens of 483 years, the Messiah, the prince, is cut off. I'm sorry, I did that wrong. 434. So hopefully you're getting some of that. It's not between the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, but it's after the 62 weeks, which means it has to be after the seven weeks because the seven weeks comes before the 62 weeks. Did that make any sense to anybody? Say yes. Say yes. Okay. Obviously, it is incumbent upon us to evaluate all of these decrees. And this is, yes, the alarm is going off for the rice. Finally, I learned that. It's not an excuse to run screaming into the parking lot, pretending it's a fire alarm to get out of the lecture. I know that happens. <laughs> it's snowing out there. It's supposed to snow a lot today. Did you know it's supposed to be five to seven below in the coming uh, this coming week? Ha ha ha, yay summer. But we've got to determine which of these is the one that began the prophetic clock. So let's pretend to go in order. We're actually going to go in order. Let's start with the Cyrus decree. That is Second Chronicles. Uh, uh, that's the end of Chronicles, as a matter of fact. Not Chronister, Chronicles. Second Chronicles uh, 36. Remember, I asked you a few weeks ago about this particular issue. We'll start at uh, verse 21. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. What's that mean? As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Oh, there's another 70 years we've got to figure out. Why do we have these Sabbaths? But to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Now, in the final, or I'm sorry, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in his first year... That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. That's Iran. That he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Koresh is his name, but we'll say Cyrus. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. Does he sound like a believer to you? This is a Persian king. And he commanded me to build him a house, a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord God be with him and let him go up. That is the proclamation of Cyrus. Now we'll go to Ezra 1. 
1 through 4. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Notice it's at the end of Chronicles and the beginning of Ezra. Ask why? Stirred up the spirit of the Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So he's going to build a house for God. It's God's house. I see all these people call themselves ah, the house of the Lord. Oops. Take a... A hand was convenient and smack her fell like that. Because the house of God is not in the United States. It is in Jerusalem. There's only one of them. Please stop. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to, to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his, his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. How much did Cyrus understand there? Now you, you probably recognize that we've got to go to Jeremiah now, don't we? Because this is all about something that Jeremiah said. So let's go to Jeremiah. It's at uh, 29, Jeremiah 29. So what did Jeremiah say, 29.4? Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, who I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives, beget sons and daughters. This is what Jeremiah said to them. But eventually in Jeremiah 30, he says uh, that there will be a restoration of Judah and Israel. But there will be a time of Jacob's trouble. He does say, I will be found in, in verse 14. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your 70 years captivity. I added that. I will gather you from all the nations from which places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Okay. What what have we learned so far? That the captivity would end after 70 years. 70 is clearly important. And there is this land enjoying her Sabbaths. Because it's now desolate. Because Israel did something to that land. and Did not fulfill the law of the Sabbath. And Cyrus had a word, a command, a decree. And his was very specific. What was he supposed to do? You heard me read it. Those of you who are still with me. Both of you. Let me look. Okay, down to one. It was specific. It said that he was to rebuild God's temple. His house of God in Jerusalem. Not Cyrus specifically. I have a note here to read Ezra uh, 5, 3-15. So let's do that. I always listen to myself. Ezra 5, 3-13. Or 13-15, sorry. However, the... In the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to build the house of God. So he he wanted to build the house of God in Jerusalem. So it's about the temple. Or if you will, the house. That is the decree of Cyrus. Does that fulfill Daniel 9, 25 through 27? Does that fulfill Jerusalem, the street, the wall, the troublesome times? That's what you have to ask. If it does fulfill that, then that's where we start the prophetic clock. We go 173,880 days from there, and we should hit the crucifixion. The words of, of uh, again, Daniel 9.25 says to restore and build Jerusalem itself, not just the house of God, and the streets, and the wall. And the wall is, of course, what? What is the wall? 
It's a defensive mechanism. It's a, it's a defensive position. The words of Cyrus, and they're extraordinary. And they're, they're specific to the temple. They make no references to the city. And they certainly carry nothing that allowed for the Jews to build military defense structures. The Cyrus proclamation is not, therefore, the start of the prophetic clock, in my opinion. So next we go to Darius. Ezra 6, 1 through 12. Page 647 for those of you on the internet. Then King Darius issued a decree. So here we are, the second decree. And a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored. Where did the treasures come from? What treasures? I got you, thank you. And at Akmekta, in the palace that is the province of Medea. And, scroll, and a scroll was found. And in it was a record of, was written thus. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. So they found King Cyrus's decree. Let the house be rebuilt. Let the place where they offered sacrifices and let the foundations of it be firmly laid. It's height 60 cubits. It's width 60 cubits. What's it talking about? The house. So, and also let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem, be brought to Babylon, be restored and taken back to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, each in its place and deposit them in the house of God. So Tyrus's decree, once again, he's adding the Babylonian, when, when Nebuchadnezzar took probably what? Did he get the Ark of the Covenant? The evidence says he didn't. But what else did he get? He brought that to Babylon. And Cyrus and Darius said, take it back. And he said, also, I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it. And let his house be made a refuge heap because of this. And may the God who caused his name to be dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it. Or destroy this house of God which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree. Let it be done diligently. Again, Darius commanded or added to Cyrus's command. And he began the institution or the revival of the sacrificial system which is highly significant. But his decree also omits the, omits the city of Jerusalem and is limited to the temple itself. Let the house be rebuilt. Let the foundation of it. I issue a decree for the Jews for the building of the house of God. And he obviously refers to the troubled times because he's going to hang anybody that causes problems. And there were those who opposed the Jews' effort rebuild the temple and Darius ordered these in opposition to be executed but who were they and why did they oppose the building of the temple does anybody oppose the building of the temple today just asking hmm so now we go to Artaxerxes Artaxerxes sorry Uh, Ezra 7 8 through 17 and Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month which was on the seventh year of the king. So if this happens now, we got a date. Isn't that exciting? This is the fifth month, and it's the seventh year. So, yay for us. Seventh year of the king of Artaxerxes. Now, you got to know something. When did the king of Artaxerxes become the king of Artaxerxes? Did he have a little bit of a transitionary period? How long was it? Who was his father? His father was Xerxes. What happened to Xerxes? He was murdered. And and Artaxerxes' brother was also murdered. And Artaxerxes murdered the guy that murdered his father and his brother and murdered that guy's kids. That's how it was done. So a whole lot of murdering going on. But how much time between Xerxes and Artaxerxes I? Oh, and there's Artaxerxes II, in case you get confused as to which Artaxerxes there is. Can you spell Artaxerxes yet? Good. How many X's in Artaxerxes? I'll give you a hint. So that really comes in handy at Scrabble. Okay, it doesn't. There's only one X at Scrabble. You can't use Babylonian names, Persian names. But for a second there, you went, wow, maybe I can use that. 
<laughs> so Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king, Artaxerxes. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. So you all got a whole lot of first days and fifth days, different months. And, uh, and according to the good hand of the God upon him, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do so to teach the statutes and ordinances in Israel. And this is what he has. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. I wonder what it's like to be an expert. I mean, we... Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra, the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Now, what does Artaxerxes think of the God of Israel? Perfect peace and so forth. I issued a decree that all of those people in Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm who volunteered to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. And whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And whereas you are to carry the silver and gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. And whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in the province of Babylon, along with the free will offering of the people and the priests, are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, be careful to buy with this money bulls, rams, and lambs. Why are they buying that? With this grain, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem. Verse 21, and I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of, the he of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently. So I have a decree. So Artaxerxes, you can see this building. Now I'm going to have I'm going to have gold and silver, and the sacrifice is going to be made. The sacrificial animals are going to be bought. And he's saying everybody that runs into this letter, Ezra has a copy of the letter. He doesn't have the actual letter. So to repeat this a bit, we got a lot of problematic math. Remember, if you can, from last week, there's 360 days in this week in Hebrew years, 365 and a quarter in Gregorian or Gentile years, days in a year. Now you've got to calculate, you've got to have a fundamental understanding of the Hebrew calendar. And I should say plural, Hebrew calendars, because there's two of them. Ezra 7.8 has Ezra arriving in the city of Jerusalem accompanied by priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and the descendants of the Gibeonites. I didn't make that plain, but I will later. He has Gibeonite descendants. Joshua 9, Joshua 10, 2 Samuel 21, Ezra 2. And whenever you see Gibeonites, full, complete, just jump on the brake, stop the, the submarine dead in the water. Boy, it's time to full stop. Because this is King Saul, the bloodthirsty King Saul, and all the other Sauls. Who's the other Sauls? Saul of Tarsus got his name changed to Paul. You might remember that lecture from a few years ago. No Saul from Saul, but know that Saul and Saul are both Saul. I have Rizpah, a wonderful woman. I have seven hung men. She keeps the birds away and the animals away. She fights like crazy, so their bodies are destroyed. She's incredible. It's a powerful, magnificent piece of scripture. Whenever the Gibeonites are identified in the Bible, time to slow down, ask question, because great wisdom is here. Anyway, Ezra came to Jerusalem on the fifth month in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes with a copy of the letter. The problem is, which calendar? Is it the civil calendar or the sacred calendar? The civil calendar begins with Tishri and ends with Elu. 360 days, fall to fall. <coughs> Excuse me. The sacred Jewish calendar begins with Nisan and ends with Adar. Spring to spring. So I got a fall to fall and a spring to spring calendar. Think of it in terms of January to December. You think that's the year, right? It's not. What's the year, the real year in this country? It's July to June. What do we call that? Fiscal year. So there's two calendars in this country. There's two calendars of Jews. The point is, yea, a point. 
did Ezra arrive in Jerusalem in the heat of the summer or in the middle of the winter? Because that you, got, you don't know what month it, you know what month it is, but you don't know what calendar it is. What time did the Jews reckon when they were in Babylonian captivity? Did they go fall to fall civil calendar or spring to spring sacred calendar? That's the question. The goal is to count the days from the crucifixion. And we, we, again, do we count years on 360 or 365 and a quarter? Do we count forwards to the crucifixion or backwards to the crucifixion? One would assume forwards, but there are many, many backwards counters. And what about Zerubbabel? Notice what I'm doing to you now, right? Zerubbabel is important here. And the curse of Jehoiakim's line, because Zerubbabel is in Jehoiakim's line. Ezra chapter 2 and Jeremiah 22, 24 through 30. Let me repeat that. Ezra chapter 2 and Jeremiah 22, 24 through 30. I don't have time. Put it on the board. Where does Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2 through 3, Nehemiah 8, 9 fit in with all of this? Nehemiah, guess what he does? He builds the wall. That tells you a lot. How did a cupbearer, what's a cupbearer? He's a poison taster. He's the poison taster to King Artaxerxes. How did he get into the Daniel 9.25 promise? Says I have time. Do I have time? I probably don't. Boy, it's so, so cool though. Okay. We're going to go for it here. Nehemiah 2, 1 through 11. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan. That's handy, but what calendar year is it? Fall to fall, spring to spring. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Okay, finally, now we're at the 20th year. Here we were at the 7th year. Now we're at the 20th year. I know it doesn't look like 20th to you. It doesn't to me either. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. What's that process? You just don't give wine to the king, do you? Because the king already murdered the guy that murdered his father, murdered all those kids. Because you've got to murder the kids. Because if you don't murder the kids, what are the kids going to do to you? That's right. They're going to murder you and your kids. That's how it works. Works the same now. Just uh, not as sophisticated as they were. And he said, and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Hi, King. We're all happy here. All of us. No matter what. Because we're not happy. Ooh, that's a man. And you're really funny. All your jokes, just like what you do to me. All your jokes are hilarious. That's what you tell me every Sunday. Never. I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick but about to be dead? I added that part. This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Oh, yeah. Because you don't get sad in front of a Persian king. And said to the king, may the king live forever. (laughs) Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? Because he loves the poison taster. Why does he love the poison taster? Because King Artaxerxes is alive. And if the poison taster did not love him, the poison taster is putting his life in front of Artaxerxes every day. And he's doing the job. And he's happy. Except for this day, not so happy. And the king says, what do you request? So I prayed to God of heaven and said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. What's it in the sentence? City. Not the house. He's going to rebuild the city. That tells us which decree is the beginning of the prophetic clock. It's the one that fulfills all of Daniel 9.25, 9.26, 9.27. Then the king said to me, the queen was also sitting behind me, 
him. How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I sent him, I set him a time. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region. So ultimately, and we don't have time, I have to stop. Nehemiah gets a decree that speaks to a decree. And this goes on. This The troublesome times are covered in Nehemiah 6. Ezra 4 recounts Zerubbabel confronting resistance to the building of the temple. So I have Ezra in the seventh year of Artaxerxes. I have Nehemiah in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes. Does anybody know exactly when these years were? Can I put a year here? Do the historians have it right? Do the Bible scholars? How close can we come? Does the 69 weeks start at Ezra on the seventh year of Artaxerxes? Or Nehemiah on the 20th year, I made the case for the 20th year. What about Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel marks the official end of the 70 years of captivity. He's incredible. (coughs) Finally, yay. Who designed this? How many pieces we got? It's unbelievable. This is all prophecy. Jesus Christ did this. The certain man in linen, Daniel 10. Remember that? I hope you do. It was given to the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel spoke it to Daniel, Daniel 9, 20 through 27. And he did it after Daniel was praying over the book of Jeremiah, trying to figure out when the 70 years of captivity is. And who ended that? Zerubbabel did. All of these pieces. Thus the most definitive of the definitive questions comes up. What's, what is this based on? He didn't just make it up going, oh, I'll throw this piece in, I'll throw that piece in, I'll just make a big mess. This is God designed all of this and it all fits together in an incredible way. And it leads us to the great truth of the year of the crucifixion. So now, upon what is this based? In other words, infinite, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, omnibenevolent God, creator God, has attached all of this to something. Just as his feast days are connected to his crucifixion weeks, his seven millenniums to his creation week, all of this fits into something before it. What was it? Next week. We will address that. But you'll figure it out without me. You always do. You have to rise to be dismissed. Congratulations. You get a certificate for sitting through that like you do every Sunday. Uh, Does it get worse from here? Oh, yeah. Sorry. So invite all your friends. But uh, if you get it, you have, the, you have a weapon that you cannot believe. If you have problems, this is the applicational part of your life.